Good morning and happy 4th of July. My name is Karen Miller and I'm on staff here at Church of the Valley. It's my privilege this morning to exalt Jesus Christ as we look at God's word. Almost 250 years ago, the United States declared independence from Great Britain and they wrote the Declaration of Independence. And many of you know, it begins this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, each generation has had to work out what those words mean and how we live them out. Right now, in 2021, I would argue that American culture says our best way to pursue happiness and our greatest freedom is through individual expression. You do you, maybe me, and as long as I get to do what I want with art harming others without being judged, then I am free. And I wonder, do you agree? We want freedom from the judgment of others. We want freedom from the condemnation of others, and we want to be accepted as we are. We want to be allowed to pursue our dreams and passions without judgment. We want to be free from guilt and shame. Our hearts long for these things. Our culture values these things. So why then does it seem so unattainable at times? This morning, we'll look at God's word to see what we can learn about this thing we long for, freedom from condemnation. I've cleverly titled the sermon this morning, Freedom from Condemnation. Our outline is very simple. We'll look at what is condemnation? Why do we need freedom? How do we get freedom? And then how do we live in freedom? That's actually the hardest part. So what is condemnation? Condemnation is a legal word. The Greek word is katakrima. Kata means against and krima means judgment. So it's simple. It's a judgment against. It's a verdict of guilty. If you're rightly judged guilty, then you deserve punishment. Here's the odd thing. Some people have a strong sense of condemnation, a clear picture of their shortcomings and wrongs. Those sins or shortcomings kind of live large in their heads, and they often live in a perpetual state of low self-esteem or guilt or shame. And then there are others who seem to kind of float along through life, still sinning without a guilty conscience at all. Now, most of us live probably somewhere in the middle. And if you're not a churchgoer or a Christian, many people consider themselves kind of good enough and if they do believe in an afterlife, they believe they deserve to go to heaven. So we desperately need God's word to bear truth on our hearts because only God's truth and judgments are truly just. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says, For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Now, Gentiles are non-Jews, so Jews and Gentiles includes everyone. It says, as it is risen, written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
That's the problem. Outside of Christ, we are not righteous. We are all guilty. Romans 2, 5 through 6 says, But because of your stubborn and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Now, we don't like to talk about this much anymore, but there is a day of judgment. The penalty for the stubborn and unrepentant, for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil is also clear. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why do we need freedom from condemnation? Apart from Christ, we are sinful. Apart from Christ, we stand guilty, condemned, and deserving of punishment. Apart from Christ, we will one day receive the penalty for our sins, death, and eternal separation from a loving God. That should break our hearts. How do we get that freedom? How does someone who doesn't know Christ gain freedom from that condemnation? Here's the good news. The Apostle John writes in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we learn in Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So when someone repents of their sins and repents from their independence from God, and that believes that Jesus paid their debt when he went to the cross and died for them, and then he rose again, proving he was God, we are declared not guilty, but righteous in God's sight. Our debt is stamped paid in full. We are freed from condemnation. We are adopted into God's family. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and our promised eternal life. In the novel, A Tale of Two Cities, there are two men who look like each other, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. Charles Darnay is a French aristocrat who sacrifices his family wealth and heritage in order to live a life free of guilt of his family's awful behavior. Towards the end of the book, however, the jury condemns Darnay for the crimes of his family and sentences him to die within 24 hours. Carton, Darnay's lookalike, visits Darnay in prison, and Carton decides to save Darnay so Darnay can be reunited with his family. In an astonishing moment of self-sacrifice, Carton dresses up as Darnay, has Darnay removed from prison, and awaits his own death. Carton is executed by guillotine, and Charles Darnay is set free. If you read the book, you are amazed by Carton's self-sacrifice to save a man and his wife and his family. But that's just a glimpse of what Jesus did for us. Jesus takes our sentence of death and dies for us so that we can go free. He gets our punishment 
and we get his righteousness. Say, so that's incredible news, but now we have to ask, how do we live in the freedom that's been given to us? The problem for most Christians is that we've been declared free from guilt, from punishment, from condemnation, but we really don't know how to live like free people. In 1863, Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. The proclamation declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforward shall be free. The slaves were declared free, but either hadn't heard of their freedom or had no idea how to live in that freedom. Like them, we must learn to live in our newfound freedom from condemnation. Okay, so you're a Christian, and out of gratitude, you start trying to follow Jesus and move out of sin. And eventually you fall back into sin, or you realize you have more sin in your life than you thought, and you feel condemned. You feel guilty, and you may even feel like you've lost the love of God. You confess, and you receive God's forgiveness, and then you're not condemned. Rinse and repeat. Most of us feel like we're basically moving in and out of condemnation all the time. But there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a Christian in my teens, I got that Jesus died for my sins. And that was my way to heaven. And in that way, I was not condemned. But I didn't understand this doctrine of no condemnation and how to apply to my present life. I still felt condemned by the voices of others. They labeled me shy or arrogant. And now I was both of those things, but I didn't want to be defined that way. I didn't like being like that and I felt trapped. And so I felt condemned to live with my fears and my shyness and the labels of others. There was another area where I also felt condemned. In my late teens and early 20s, I did a lot of driving. I thought I was a pretty good driver, but the truth was I was easily distracted. So as a result, when other people were in the car with me, I actually became a very bad driver at times. I got a speeding ticket, and then I totaled my first car. I felt so ashamed, and I remember going to this church, and I cried all night. And then in the morning, I finally mustered up my courage, and I went to a payphone, and I called my dad. And through tears and with a very contrite heart, I told him what happened. And you know what he told me? It was going to be okay. He was not angry. He mercifully and graciously mocked me this very cute used Honda Prelude, which I just loved. And for a long time, that was my picture of no condemnation. There was no judgment or loss of love. The incident was rarely mentioned again. I was forgiven. I felt forgiven. Two years later, I transferred to Stanford, and I had just finished my first quarter there, and I was sure I had flunked out. I was stressed out. I had failed, and I was driving this guy I liked to the airport, and guess what? My head was not into my driving. There was a merge from two lanes into one, and I had not been paying enough attention to merge correctly. I ended up driving onto the sidewalk. I ran into a tree, drove up the tree, and dented the Palo Alto High School fence. The whole front of the car was smashed in and there was a hole in the radiator. I was supposed to drive home for Christmas break the next day, but now 
my beloved Honda Prelude, my second car, was totaled. I was so ashamed, and I couldn't tell my parents. I lied and told them I'd changed my plans and my roommate would be driving me down. Hiding and lying are sure signs you are living under condemnation. You fear loss of love or loss of respect, or you fear punishment. I couldn't forgive myself. And any time we can't forgive ourselves for a particular sin, we are negating what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died and paid the debt for the smaller sins and the bigger sins and the repeated sins. Not only do we need to know this truth for the times we sin, and we desperately need this truth to move into our hearts, but we also need to know it when we are in seasons of temptation. It is likely at some point in our lives, in your life, the power of our sinful nature may surprise us. I know it has in mine. Tim Keller tells a story. It's a true story. There was a man and his wife, and they had three children. Now, I don't know the specifics of the story, but at one point, the three children were strapped into an automobile. There was no driver in the car, and somehow the car went into a lake, and all three children were drowned. It was a horrible, horrible tragedy. At the funeral, the couple testified to their faith in God, and they seemed so spiritually strong. They were pillars in their church. They did have more children and a new family. 20 years later, the husband confessed to his pastor that he was strongly attracted to a woman in his church who was not his wife, and he experienced horrible guilt. He got some counseling, but in the end, he killed himself. It's such a sad story, but listen, here's a man who couldn't handle the worst suffering the world could give him. He could handle that, but he couldn't handle the possibility that he was a sinner. We all sin and fall short, and when we hit seasons of strong temptation, we especially need this doctrine of no condemnation. And we need to remember that God is always able to find a way out when we feel tempted. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we practically apply these truths to our lives? Many of us still feel condemned, condemned by others, condemned by ourselves, condemned by God. We're going to look at each of these ways we feel condemned by looking at three scenarios and discover how to live in the light of truth that in Christ we are no longer condemned. As I describe each person, I want you to see if you relate. Guy number one felt condemned by others. Guy number one grew up in a home where he was regularly criticized and never felt good enough. He can't seem to get past it, and he's a victim of great wrongs. He remains angry and struggles. Well-meaning people try to help him. Some appeal to his emotions and offer sympathy and a listening ear. Unfortunately, that only moves him more towards self-pity, and he remains the victim. Others appeal to his will. Buck up, move past it, stop trying to please people and earn praise. The guy is a profession Christian, and he says, technically, you know, in my head, I believe there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And technically, again, in my head, I believe I'm loved. Here's the simple fact. This man should be able to say, the king of the universe, Jesus, loves me. 
who cares what my parents or anyone else thinks? But he can't because what others think is more real to him than what King Jesus says. King Jesus tells him, tells us, we are chosen, we are loved, we are accepted. Because Jesus was criticized and ridiculed and mocked and crucified on our behalf, Jesus endured all of that so we could receive the unconditional love of the Father. So here's the diagnostic. Do you feel like you're a victim and the wrongs done to you cannot be redeemed? Are you overly sensitive or angry when people criticize you? Are you always trying to earn people's respect and good opinion? What's the remedy? Forgive. I know it's hard, but forgive those who have wronged you because Jesus has forgiven you. Grieve the loss of love and acceptance others didn't give you, but receive the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. And then number two, this is very important, learn to distinguish between the accusations of the enemy and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The accuser comes in and says, you're a failure, you're disqualified, you're not good enough, you're a jerk, you'll never amount to anything. The Spirit, on the other hand, says, I love you. I've redeemed you. I delight in you. The Spirit brings clear and specific conviction of sin that leads to gratitude and freedom. And then number three, learn to distinguish between harmful criticism and loving correction of others. Learn to receive that loving correction from others with grace and humility rather than with anger. So in Christ, you are no longer under the condemnation of others, but under the conviction of the Spirit. Let me say that again. In Christ, you are no longer under the condemnation of others, but under the conviction of the Spirit. That conviction brings freedom. Romans 8, 31 through 34 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. That's fantastic news. No one condemns us. God justifies. All right, let's look at gal number two. She struggles with self-condemnation. Gal number two, she's also been criticized, but mostly by herself. She has high standards for herself, and as a result, often feels like a failure, or at least like she's fallen short. Perfection and pride are her enemy. So if there is tension in a relationship, she's certain it's her fault. She keeps working through scenarios in her head, trying to figure out where she went wrong. Or if she actually knows where she went wrong, she mentally beats herself up. Why did I say that? Why did I react that way? What a dumb thing to do or say. When she gets in a new relationship, she's often walking on eggshells, afraid she'll mess up or be criticized or rejected. 
This gal has a profound sense of self-condemnation. She's not really angry at others, but she is angry at herself. People try to appeal to her emotions and tell her she's a good person, a good employee, a good friend, a good daughter. People appeal to her will and tell her to get past it. Live in the present. It's not your fault. The gospel says, at least a little was your fault and you're forgiven. Others also were at fault. And because you're forgiven by Jesus, you can forgive them. The gospel says your mistakes don't define you or cause you to be rejected. Instead, you are defined by the new person God has created you to become. You are defined by the righteousness of Jesus Christ who was rejected in your place. You have a savior, Lord, and king has, who has created you for good works, who is capable of revealing sin, convicting you of sin and freeing you from sin starting with the sin of your desire to be your own judge, jury, and savior. Diagnostic, do you feel like your current suffering is your fault? Do you live with a sense of guilt and shame? Do you set a high bar for yourself and then regularly feel like you fall short or are a failure? Do you feel you will never be fully accepted or loved? What's the remedy? Again, receive the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stop worrying about past failures because they have been removed as far as the East is to the West. Receive Christ's righteousness and trust that Jesus will help you move out of sin and into freedom. In Christ, you are no longer under condemnation but under the cleansing power of Christ. And I'm gonna say this one again. In Christ, you are no longer under condemnation, but under the cleansing power of Christ. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Psalm 103, 10 through 12 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's great news. All right, let's go on to guy number three. He feels condemned by God. Guy number three is going through a season where life is dealing him some hard blows. He just got a bad review at work, his adult children are struggling, and he has some serious health issues. He may have some bitterness towards others or himself, but mostly he's angry at God. A loving God wouldn't allow him to be treated like that. He thinks God is punishing him for some addictive behaviors a decade ago. He stops reading his Bible. His church attendance is sporadic. Well, many people appeal to his emotions and reach out and encourage him to join their small group and remind him that God loves him. Now, that's not a bad thing, but it's not complete. People appeal to his will and rebuke him, telling him to stop rebelling and come back to God. The gospel says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The guilt of his past sin was forgiven at the cross. Nothing will separate this man from the love of God. Listen carefully, God doesn't punish us for past sins, 
but loves us and disciplines for present sins so we can be free from them. So here's the diagnosis. Are you angry at God? Do you feel, currently feel like God is punishing you for past sins? Have you distanced yourself from God or Christian community because of guilt or past or present sin? What's the remedy? Run into God's loving arms and receive his forgiveness. Confess your fear of condemnation to others and pray you'll be able to receive the amazing gift of God's grace and forgiveness. And then accept God's discipline for present sin because God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12, 5 through 7 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So in Christ, you are no longer under condemnation, but under the loving correction of the Father. Let me say that again. In Christ, you are no longer under condemnation, but under the loving correction of the Father. Okay, so what will you do the next time you fail or make a mistake or hurt someone? Instead of mentally beating yourself up or wondering why you messed up again, just say, thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven me already. And then pray, purify my desires, my heart, my thoughts, my tongue, or give me your priorities. Or pray, make me the spouse, parent, friend, co-worker you desire. And then move on. Stop dwelling on your sin and be present to love the people in the room. If you struggle with repeated sin, as we all do, then it's time to bring in community, confess and get prayer and accountability. And if you struggle with deeper additions, issues or addiction like I did, you may need to get counseling, get other professional help. My time in counseling was well spent and very freeing. All right, Tim said this a few weeks ago, that there's another error with this doctrine of no condemnation. For some, they think no condemnation gives them the freedom or the liberty to sin. But Paul says in Romans 6, 15 through 18, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. We are free to sin, but honestly, why would we want to? Why would we want to be a slave to things that hurt ourselves or others? How does that bring God glory? All right, we've talked a lot about that there's no condemnation for us, but we need to realize that there's also no condemnation for any brother or sister in Christ Jesus. Too often we're hurt by others, especially those in the church, 
And honestly, maybe we don't want to admit them, but we want them to suffer. We say something hurtful or keep our distance or cut them off entirely. If we hold a grudge against someone or have an unforgiving heart or remain bitter and resentful, then we condemn others in our hearts. Either way, we are failing to live out the doctrine of no condemnation and the gospel when we do that. Luke 6.37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. And Ephesians 4.33-32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The reality is, if we are practicing no condemnation with one another, then being real and being vulnerable becomes a safe thing to do. When we practice no condemnation, then confessing our sins to one another becomes a safe thing to do. We no longer have to hide or lie or pretend because we are accepted in Christ. We are loved by Christ, and we are called to accept love one another in Christ. I remember being in counseling many years ago, and I had to confess some sin to my pastor, counselor, and friend that honestly I was afraid to talk about. Through sobs, I told her my sin, and she looked at me right in the eye with the most compassionate look. Then she got up and moved over and hugged me, and she just wept with me while I wept over my sin. She told me I was forgiven, and the love of Christ just passed through her to me. And we need to know that no matter what we do, think, or desire, Jesus will always love us. I want to end with this. It's Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. As you go away today, I want you to remember this. In Christ, we are no longer under condemnation, but we are under the conviction of the Spirit, the cleansing power of Christ, and the correction of our loving Father. And ultimately, when God frees us from condemnation, he frees us from self-focus to love him and others well. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much um, for your truth. And I pray that uh, as we listen this morning and as we absorb what we've heard, God, that you would free us from condemnation. I pray for specific and clear conviction of the Spirit where we don't understand this truth and we aren't able to apply it to our lives. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would live in the freedom that you want to offer and that our hearts long to be free from guilt and shame and judgment and that you do that work in our hearts and give us this freedom. We love you so much, Lord. And we pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.